The Marty's Music Kitchen podcast is brought to you in cooperation with Oregon Music News. Welcome to Marty's Music Kitchen, the fun cooking podcast with creative people where anything can happen. I'm in awe of the power duo in the kitchen today. I'm interviewing Mark and Autumn Powers. Mark is an author, teacher, and drummer who has shared the stage with people like Cheap Tricks, Rick Nielsen, the Aphrodisiacs, and more. Not to mention that he currently records with the Portland-based American rock band, Floater. Autumn is an amazing artist, former elementary school teacher, and has written over 15 books. And boy, can they cook. On today's menu, we have Grandma Irene's ham and cabbage, a simple but classic hearty soup comfort food passed down through the generations in Autumn's family. She would make this uh, one week out of the month um, every Sunday and the whole family would come over and she would feed all of us with it. And you know, no matter what tension was happening in the family, didn't matter, we'd all show up Sundays with dinners and she just fed everybody. And every time I make it, I think of her. So let's make some new friends and find out how you can make this dish in your kitchen. So hi guys, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming over. So I'm here with Mark and Autumn Powers and um, I'm super excited to be here. You guys are very interesting and fun people to be around. We met, you and I, Mark, Mm -hmm. on a gig, actually, through a mutual friend, Um, Uh, and you are a phenomenal drummer. You are a phenomenal singer. Yeah, working with Sherry Somerville is always a treat. I know. Isn't she fantastic? So, yeah, and then, as it turns out, that was around Halloween, and I don't know how we got on the topic, you and I, but it turns out we were Halloween fans, and you started naming movies, and I was like, oh my God. That's my influence. She and her mother are huge (laughs) horror movie fans. Really? Yes. We we will spend hours trying to pick the right one, and it's got to be scary, but not cheesy. We've got, we got this internal list of, you know, criteria that it has to meet, and you know, most people are like, what are you two doing? But it's like, nope, it's got to be the right scare. Yeah, they, they will be pretty hard on horror mm-hmm. movies. So we'll, we'll sit up at night when we're visiting uh, her parents and always the plan is to, to watch a horror movie and they start watching the beginning of a movie or a trailer and I, I'm into it immediately. Oh, like, we can okay, tell in oh, three uh, this seconds. Is, this is great, this is great. And no. they're like, nope, it's gone. No. <laughs> what? No, that, that it's was not, great. It's too but, cheesy. Yeah, yeah. Trash it's that one. Pretty hard on the So Halloween movies. is my mother's favorite. And even during Christmas, she has a Halloween tree to represent. Oh, yeah. I've had a Halloween, Halloween. tree before, yes. but it was during Halloween, so, you yeah, know. It's got ghoul it's got babies demon and baby and, and yeah, yeah, awesome. Michael Myers masks. <laughs> well, there you go then. So. Well, I'm, I'm a huge Halloween fan, and I think my, uh, you know, love of Halloween comes from when I was a kid. Mm. I was a little bit shy, except for in music, and my mom sewed, like, the wind and she would always sew my halloween costume and i felt like when i was in costume i could be whoever i wanted to be i didn't have to be this shy little kid anymore right Mm -hmm. so um that was just the best plus i won a lot of the costume contests at school which gave a little bit of (laughs) more of a confidence 
it was a little bit of a confidence builder too. So yeah. not to yeah. mention candy, of course. Of course. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, huge. Candy. So you guys went to, with me to a local professional haunt called the Davis Graveyard. Amazing. Um, oh right. my gosh, and it was so cool. For the podcast l- listeners, if you haven't been, it's the Davis Graveyard. Um, and do you guys want to describe what it was like? Uh, you know, well, I, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just remember pulling just, up around yes. the corner and first of all, just seeing the sea of people out front that are just there to check out the graveyard. Right. And getting to go behind the scenes was even cooler. And walking up and there is this gate and there's these flashing lights and these sounds and all these people just, you know, leaning in and we're like, we get to go in that? And then this guy comes up and somehow knows who we are. Yeah. Don't know why. Probably add into the somehow spooky. I added your name on the list. You are my why. guests. But so. he knew before getting a name. It's like, it you must amazing. be, you know, yeah. Powers like I got in there and he's like I don't know these people I'm like oh they're with me and he goes oh okay <laughs> they, have, they, have the, they have the chapel in the driveway that they mm-hmm. built yeah, right it's super super cool right so for podcasters if you want to check that out um, I think it's davisgraveyard.com maybe the Davis Graveyard so check it out highly so. recommend it yeah yes. yeah cool. super fun yes. here we are in uh, the beginning of the year in almost spring talking about Halloween. Oh, yeah. That's how much of a Halloween yes. fan we are. I already want to go back. Yeah. <laughs> so um, tell me, what are we cooking today? So this, it's funny that you mentioned how you were shy. I was a super shy kid. I was actually really sick all the time. And I spent Aww. a ton of time with my um, dad's mom, Grandma Irene. And this is a classic Grandma Irene ham and cabbage soup. And she would make this one week out of the month um, every Sunday and the whole family would come over and there were you know my uncles and aunts and my folks and she would just feed all of us and she would it actually was a big pot like this and she would start it at, in the morning and she throws in chunks of cabbage and big chunks of doesn't look that great right now but it actually tastes good that is burning my hand. Well, just stir it up. <laughs> stir it up, friend. Um, chunks of potatoes. Oh my gosh! Look at that. And she Ooh. puts ham hocks in there with the bone in because it's that that marrow in there that drips out and it adds to that flavor of the broth. And it was something very healthy, very hearty. And she would feed all of us with it. And every time I ate it, I just felt that it was nourishing, it was um, just comfortable. And I don't have my grandma now, but every time I make it, I think of her. And um, we were very, very poor. Oh, we, don't get choked up. I, know, I saw I that. Know. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> it's like Grandma Irene, she taught me about the birds, Aww. everything. Um, but she, you know, no matter what tension was happening in the family, didn't matter. We'd all show up Sundays with dinners and she just fed everybody. And, you know, growing up really poor, she had a garden, and a lot of the potatoes and stuff would come from her garden. Mm-hmm. Not the ham. Didn't raise any pigs. But <laughs> carrots came. Right. And, um, but she would always send home a, an additional pot of this with my, my mom and dad so that we could eat. Right. Because my, my parents are, you know, they worked really hard. Again, didn't have much money growing up in Tacoma. But my grandmother always made sure we were fed, and it was healthy. And she was also a believer in summertime that you still eat hot soup because it keeps you hydrated. It's so all right. we have this year round. But, and so I, I just, it's one thing I can make. I'm not 
a cook. I don't wouldn't classify myself as a cook. I'm but more this of a, looks outstanding. It's like this is something I can do. Yeah, definitely. Well, <laughs> and it just again, it just brings back that. that yeah. Good, well, good food memory. and family often, you know, go hand in hand. They did mm -hmm. with my family. There was always room for. Um, however many people came, my brother and I always invited friends, and there was always enough. You know, yeah. both my parents were teachers, and you know, it wasn't always, especially when I was younger, you know, a flowing meal. But there was always enough, always, yeah. whether it was biscuits or they made bread or whatever, right? So to me, food means that comfort, that yes. family yep. kind of thing, like it does to you too. So yep. um, I know about the getting checked, uh, choked up. Actually, I lost my dad four years ago today. Oh, oh wow! So yeah, but and and this is a great day to record for that because mm -hmm. it's kind of a celebration. You know, here we are talking yeah. about food yeah, and family, family, and so mm -hmm. yeah, it's it's actually a nice thing. So. And how much this, you know, it still impacts me to this day. Or I just think of, you know, I being an artist and illustrator. I, my main topic are birds, and she taught me about the birds, and so I'm making art and eating food that she has this great influence and when you stop and think about it, i would have never thought oh yeah when i'm a little kid grandma you're gonna make me an artist you're gonna keep me fed when i'm in my mid-40s and she's still doing it so Aww. yeah it's just yeah it's a nice thing it is a so nice tell thing. me what's in this healthy yeah so super simple because you know as you know mark and i are always up to something like what? we exactly right <laughs> no. on the go we're like oh let's make a book let's go join a bouldering gym let's go on a hike let's go do this so we put in a lot of our energy in all these creative pursuits so for us cooking kind of takes a back seat and so whatever we make has to be super simple mainly just put it in a pot put it in a crock pot let it simmer and so in this is just um ham a ham uh -huh. hock to get that bone broth going. Carrots, red potatoes, cabbage, a ton red, of cabbage. Red potatoes. Red potatoes. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, Grandma was super smart on that. Yeah, cabbage, um, some vegetable broth, and then water and salt. I super, love it. super simple. That's kind of that's kind of us. Yeah. You know, um, and anything you can do in the slow cooker, the better to be able to get it going before you take off or the day's crazy. Automatic cooking. So this is a. Have you cooked it in this or like an actual crock pot or in this beautiful soup pot? I've All done day. both. This I I did today because I wanted to make a ton of it, and as we will eat off of it for several days. Well. Uh, the crew doesn't get any? No. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you all do, too. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. Totally kidding. Totally. That's why they're talking. Yes. Um, so how long do you cook it in the crock pot? I set it on, so if I'm starting it a little bit later in the day, I'll turn it on high for, like, the four-hour mark. But this I started, it's been going five or six hours. Yeah, probably about and so six in the crock now. pot, yeah. I'll do, I like to do the slower cook. On, like, a, and this is on one this now. Is, yeah. And I started it on um, uh, four and then kept moving it down as it got later in the day. And I just would check in on how it was looking and the texture of the potatoes and the carrots. Right. And as it started to, you know, you can get that fork in it, um, then I turned the heat way down. You know, the beautiful thing about using red potatoes is that they're a firmer potato. Right. So they don't break down as much. They're not going to fall apart. In the, yeah, they're not going to fall apart. They're yeah. not going to yeah. cook more quickly than the carrot, for example. And they're really delicious for breakfast as well, you know. If one of my favorite things is the potatoes and onions together. Ooh. I don't know why. That's like ah, a weakness when you're cooking <laughs> up. It's like it smells so good to me. But the red potatoes are a great option because they still have 
some of that body mm-hmm. when you're yeah. when you're done cooking them up. So. Baby reds are a favorite. I love them. Yeah, I think great. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, I know you're an artist, and Mark, you're a drummer. I am. That's I've already mentioned. That's how we met. But darn, I mean, I've been reading that you've traveled. I'm just gonna say, is there somewhere in the world you haven't traveled? Because you've been everywhere, and it seems like you've studied with different cultures, drumming and percussion and rhythms. And um, tell me more about that. There are way too many places that I have not gotten to travel yet. (laughs) That list is still very, very long, and I'm looking forward to checking more of them off. But yeah, I have had the fortune of getting to study with a number of great teachers, both here in the States and abroad. Uh, The first time I left the country at all was to go live in a little village called Kopeia in the southeast corner of Ghana, West Africa, just study percussion there for several months. And... I've spent time studying in West Africa and Cuba and Puerto Rico, and I really love that, not only because I'm able to bring those influences back and take into schools and do programs when I do teaching artists uh, programs, but also those ideas, even if I'm not using them authentically, they end up getting somehow integrated and somewhat bastardized into the musics that I play. And I think it's a lot of that that sort of amalgamation of ideas that end up being what people see as being very creative. And for a long time, I never felt that was creativity. I always felt that it was just me mashing ideas together and you know just running with whatever came out and over the years i've realized that it is its own form of of creativity but yeah any any chance i get i can't say no to an opportunity to travel somewhere or to take lessons with somebody or learn well something. it seems like every time i turn around you're like flying out you know to california or you know some national music conference or you know whatever you're in high demand it's like I said, I'm fortunate that I get to just be doing lots of different things with lots of different people. It keeps me learning all the time and keeps you on your toes for sure. Right. Um, you know, I know that you've also done TED Talks and I don't know, you're on some kind of a board for uh, TED Talk or uh, TEDx. I don't know what it is. Yeah, I um, I have s- had spoken at a couple of TEDx events and I have also... Um, been on stage host for a number of those events. I'm not on a, a TED or TEDx board of any sort, but um, I am on a, what you might be thinking that the Percussive Arts Society, and that is the international pro- professional organization of my instrument, really. And I've been involved over the last several years in a variety of different capacities. I was a member of the drum set committee for two terms of six years, I guess. The drum set committee? Yeah, of the Percussive Arts Society. So kind of of involved in a number of different educational initiatives, as well as selecting the artists that come to the event every single year and stuff. And I was essentially aging out of that after doing two terms this year and thought I was done for a while and could attend the event just for the fun of it. But I... But wait! Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But uh, I ended up being appointed the chair of the committee, so I just took that over the beginning of the year and I'm in the midst of learning what all that means Congratulations! Yeah, thanks. Thanks. It's a lot of fun. I I did watch your... Is it TEDx? Is that what Mm -hmm. it is? I did watch your talk. It was... uh, your body is an instrument, right? Yes, I am the instrument. Yeah. I am the instrument. That was fascinating. I mean, my uh, specialty is engagement, and I was very impressed how you didn't say a word. 
not a word for the first like three and a half minutes I think of the video um, and what you did is you had everybody doing a pattern and then you divided the room and you did it all just silently you just because you know they're making noise but you did just like a good choir teacher would do no okay <laughs> and then stop and then you guys do this and you just kept subdividing everybody until there was a, like this polyrhythmic cool and it's music yeah, that was happening that's with awesome. all these people I, and they were instantly engaged mm -hmm. i mean you had them eating out of the palm of your hand it the, the whole reason I did that was because a big part of that talk was the fact that whether or not you consider yourself a drummer, we're all rhythmatists in one way or another. So, I mean, rhythm is, you know, innate in our bodies, you know, our, our breathing and our heartbeat and in the change of the seasons. And, you know, I, I think I mentioned in that talk, the clothes bouncing around in the dryer, you know, a button hitting the, the dryer. We have these rhythms all around us and we're participating in them, we're contributing to them. And so coming out and doing that without telling anybody what I wanted them to do was to me just proof that this is in all of us. We all get it. And with a group that size, you know, 700 people, it it actually, the larger the group, the easier that gets because every there's entrainment and people just fall in with each other. And right. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, and you started with some common rhythms and I, you put in shaving and haircut. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> um, all those People know it even if they know. don't know that they know it. And then you got, you know, once, the, okay, we're getting our, you got them warmed up and then they, and then you separate your mouth. That was just like, I thought just a little stroke of genius to <laughs> to start it off that way and get the engagement going. So, Thanks. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, I loved that. Super fun. Um, there was a quote you said from one of your early teachers. You said that um, you wanted to impress him. Do you know who I'm talking about? And you threw everything in the kitchen sink into oh. the solo working with him? Oh. Yeah. Uh, Tell uh, me that story. You're talking about uh, Rakalam Bob Moses. That uh, is a great name. Yeah. Rakalam means the inaudible sound of the invisible sun. It was a name that <laughs> was given to him by a spiritual guide. And I took a three-hour drum lesson from Rakalam several years ago at the New England Conservatory in Boston. Uh -huh. And during that three-hour lesson, drum set lesson, sort of, we probably spent 15 minutes on the drum set and spent most of the rest of the time dancing around the room and vocalizing different things. And the thing you're referring to was a moment in the lesson when he asked me to play a drum solo. So he actually played with two fingers on a piano, as, as maybe a vibraphonist would play with, with two mallets, and plunked out a little melody on a p piano, and I played a little jazz time along with him on the drum set, and at some point he stopped and turned it over to me to, to play. And I mean, I, this was your big test moment, exactly. right? Exactly. I'm, I'm like ready to you know, take my solo and impress Bob Moses. And so I play this solo, and uh, we wrap up. He comes back in and plays a little bit. We finish, and he just leans on his piano and looks at me, just bewildered, completely just, you know, looking at like, me. crap, yeah. what do I do? <laughs> he's just he's like, what, what am I going to say? And he looks at me, and he says, kind of paraphrasing, I can't remember now, it's been a long time, but he said, you know, you had, like, all kinds of amazing ideas but you didn't commit to one of them. Mm. And I just remember going, what? Like, oh man, <laughs> that's, that's so horrible. I want to cry at Yeah, totally. And then he came over from the piano and grabbed a couple of sticks, which were these little hand whittled, uh, you know, um, West African 
mallets basically, and standing on the opposite side of the drum set, started taking one of my little rhythms I had played and played it on the rim of the high tom over the top, and then was hitting the rim, and then he started kicking the heating register and started vocalizing stuff over the top, and he built this whole really cool drum solo. So he was using his body as an instrument. Every, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Every, like aspect of his being as an instrument and he took that one little motif that I had and played this amazing solo out of it and his whole point was that you instead of throwing you know lick A to lick B to lick C and throwing the kitchen sink in on a solo which is what I now try to get through to my students a lot these days you can take one of those ideas milk it for all it's worth really develop it get a lot of mileage out of it and then you have all of this other material for future solos or fills or whatever. And it's just, it's a way more musical approach rather than just kind of puking everything you have out. And instead you're really developing an idea, which... Yeah, and that can, that's applicable to any solo, it's right? It's applicable to anything in life, I think, yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a nice, that's a really nice metaphor. And yeah. I loved, uh, thank you for sharing that story because I loved hearing that on your TEDx um, talk and I encourage people to go find it. Um, what's your website? Powerspercussion.com. And there's a link to it on yeah, that. I'm sure I think. there's probably. Yeah, it's yeah. really. I encourage people to go watch that. So. Cool. So Autumn, you post all the time on the drawings that you do. Yes. You are a really good artist. I mean, oh, oh. my gosh. Um, and you said you draw mostly birds, but all I've seen, I think I saw an otter and some other kind of monkey um, mm -hmm. in the last few days. I mean, I, you're impressively fast. Um, do you have a studio in the house? I do. It's just right around the corner. We really? Can, can go we go look take a look? You'll see the otter I, I'd love sitting to see on it. my Let's desk. Go. So this is, like you said, that you saw you see birds, but I'm right now, like kind of like Mark said, going deep with one thing. I'm trying to master drawing with the ballpoint pen, and that's it. Just getting very simple, using a single ballpoint pen, and um, practicing with animals. Isn't just that a, amazing? I mean, yeah, just I wanted, I want to get. Is good that an at otter? This. What yes. is it? It's an okay, otter. Okay, thank God, I know my animal. Um, <laughs> I but, love um, doing animals. That's that is so amazing, uh, and you just. I mean, how long did that take you to draw? That took me, I would say, around 40 minutes. That's it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it would have taken me, like, four years, but, you know. That is just, uh, it's so intricate, and, you know, the hair on the otter is so fine. Um, I just can't believe that you did it that quickly, so. Yeah, and I think it's with tricky. ballpoint pen. Trying to get, like, the pressure and you know, the strokes and how do I get something that's flat to make it look like it has volume and like you could pet it. It's like, oh, it's soft. But that's what I'm currently trying to work on is using just a simple ballpoint pen. So yeah, connecting it to that, to Mark going deep with one thing. So what's your, what's your favorite medium? I love watercolor and ink pen. 
I just I put, I love watercolor because there's a part of it I can never control. And people, you cannot control watercolor to a point. You have to, it forces you to work through it. And um, I, I was an elementary school teacher since like last Friday was my last day. As a teacher, my life and day is so controlled. Regimented. Every minute, every, you know, every time segment. And so when I come home, Working with art, I just want to be able to just flow with something a little bit more. And I think that's why I'm drawn to watercolor and mm -hmm. just knowing that I have to just accept parts. And I think that's part of nature too. You can't control it. You just right. gotta flow with it. Gotta go with it. And there's it. freedom in that. There's permission. I'm working on my own flow right now as well. So trying not to control things too much, you know. Yeah. Um, and I've done really well in kind of getting out of that habit of controlling your life, right? Yes. So there's a lot to be said for flow, and it's apropos that you just mentioned that as well. So I want to talk to you about your books. I know you've yes. written... 15? I counted 15. There's probably more. I've contributed. So I've done some illustrations for Mark's drumming books. I've done... Mark has drumming yes, books. Yes, he does. He's and, uh, got all kinds of stuff. On Amazon, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. yep. And then you have your own... Books. I have, they're all available on Amazon or through my Etsy shop. And are too. they stories or? I have um, a picture book store. I have a couple of stories. I've got um, create a creative art journal because I want to inspire creativity and play. And even though you were adults, we can still play. Um, there's, you know, writing prompts. It's kind of a mishmash of all kinds of things on there. Right. Yeah. So That's... like I said, I was like, whatever, I'll, I'm interested in doing it, doing this one thing today. So let's do it. And he, Mark is always great about He's like the actualizer. Like I, I can come up with ideas, You're and I'm like, actualizer, Mark, Mark, how do I get this to happen? And he's like, okay, and he immediately goes into a plan. Like, if you have an idea, <laughs> he'll figure it out. Like he will just, I don't know how he does it, but he does it. That's so cool. Yeah. So how did you get started in art? I mean, were you always... Shy little girl. Oh. Yeah, and I, I actually, for the longest time, people didn't know I could draw. I hit it. <laughs> Even Did as an adult, really? yes. Because I was painfully shy, and it was just something that I, I, it was just a quiet activity I could just get lost in, and and it's also something I continued um, just as a stress relief, just to sit and draw is really relaxing, and it wasn't until it wasn't that long ago as an adult I finally put up a shop and started with his encouragement. Mm -hmm. You know, what would happen if you just started showing this? Why don't you yeah, go check out that stuff. coffee shop and put your art in there? Mm -hmm. Okay. You, you were really good. I mean, I'm, I'm actually surprised that you weren't, you know, that you didn't have your coming out, your artist coming out before then because oh. you were really talented. Self-confidence. Big critic. Totally. Just I, when you say it's. Oh, you're so good. I'm like, oh, but I can see in that picture all the things uh, I need to get better. <laughs> so, I totally get it. I yeah. understand. So, well, that is a huge, um, huge thing for you to uh, be able to publish all those books. And for you, too, how many uh, books do you have, Mark? Yeah, Mark, how many books do you have? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. He's got uh, a ton. A, a number that I've done or I've co-written um, and involved, been involved with with a number of people. Um, not sure. Probably about a dozen or so. Yeah. That um, is so impressive. Instructional drumming things and then... Um, kids that, books. That have been, yeah, and some little kids board books. Some traditionally published stuff and some self-published things. So you're easy to find on Amazon. I just went on Amazon and went and put in Mark Powers, you are not so easy to find. 
I have a direct link because my name changed when I got married to this guy. Aww, <laughs> so <Aww>. sweet. <laughs> so I have a direct link on my website, autumnpowers.com, where you can find all my books there as well. Which is how I discovered them. Yeah. When I read your bio, I was like, oh, wow, that is so well written and I'm totally drawn in. And I felt that same sense of engagement oh, with your good. writing that I felt when I watched Mark's TEDx talk. That, that sense of drawing me in. And I was like, if if I ever get the chance, I mean, if you ever wrote like a novel, I'd be like all over it. I'd be oh, like, oh my God. I, I have novels started. It's almost <laughs> in the editing finish. phase. Yes, <laughs> it's close. Last push. Well, I have two and a half books written and I don't know if they'll ever see The Light of Day. I did it's pitch hard. one once at the Willamette Writers Group. Yeah. Um, which is a, a Pacific Northwest group for writers where you can pitch your work and they have a yearly conference with um, nice. agents and they can help you. They have writing groups if you're into that. So awesome. um, I did pitch one, um, but I didn't, I, they want to be totally rewrite it for like a youth audience and I just didn't want to do it. <laughs> so I kind of yeah. just went by the wayside, but I think about it every once in a while. So, you know, in my life when I can yeah. fit in a few, few extra hours, we'll, I might. We'll talk about just helping you get that self-published. Exactly. Oh, yes. He'll make that happen. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, this is uh, fascinating being in this in this space. Such a, such a beautiful thing. Yeah, and we're really grateful, too, that Mark has his own studio just right above us. What? You have a yeah. studio in this household? You want to check it out? Dang, yes, I do. <laughs> Let's do Let's it. Go. <laughs> Jealous. Yeah, oh my gosh. So we're in this small, what would have been a small bedroom. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you've got the soundproofing on the walls, but you also have decorated it with like these kind of wood panels. I'm assuming that's flooring. Yep. It's a little, little tongue and groove action back there. That's beautiful. And then um, you've got your kit. Uh, impressive. Snare. Yep, snare here. Mm, That's three beautiful times. Yep. little... Yeah, I love that snare. It's, it's awesome. like It's like a, I don't know, like a, a cloth thing around the top oh, of it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A little, little muffler on there. It's a and little then, uh, bandana action. To your uh, left is like a little control panel. And then in front of you is this... I don't know, is this a 60-inch screen? Uh, I think it's close. It's 51, I think. 51-inch yeah. screen with uh, basically uh, what you'd see in a studio. It's got all the, the ability to record tracks yep. and things like that, so. I was just recording some percussion Really, can you play you something here. for me? Quite this is a, awesome. Do quite a bit of remote recording work here, sending sending tracks out to artists all over the place. Really? So yep. people send music to you mm -hmm. to I'd add percussion to? I spent a lot of time to. right in front of here recording drums, yep. A space like this for a drummer was no longer a luxury, but a necessity when the pandemic set in. <clears throat> I set this up to be able to teach out of, so I've got 
three cameras that are ready oh, to go wow. with a little video. Oh, wow, I'm just video. now aware of it. Yeah, we little, are little, on camera. A little video switcher so that you know students can see the, the music notation I have for them and be able to see the kit from different angles. And then got all the audio gear set up. And so I've got, got my interfaces and the drums are fully mic'd. Got some microphones on the ceiling as well. And a, a lot of the sessions I do these days are like a live session. So the engineer and artist will pop in by Zoom and we'll- On this screen? Yep, we'll, we'll A, B a couple snare drums. I've got a, a collection that I'm using most often. And we'll, we'll choose a snare drum. We'll you know, work out the, the tunings and the cymbals that are gonna be on the kit. And then they watch while I play down the tunes. And whenever we get the final takes, then they, they can uh, tune out and I'll add some percussion and clean up all the tracks and send off to them. But See, to me, this is so counterintuitive because, well, I mean, I've been in the studio a lot. Even in my younger years, I was recording on other people's albums and with groups and things like that. So, I mean, we were always taught that it's stronger if it's together in the same space, in the same room, because you have the sound, the acoustics of that room matter, yeah. right? So if you have a piano player in a different studio and whatever, that it's hard to match and bring them together. So yeah. this surprises me. It, I mean, I'm completely impressed. Yeah, it's not at all uncommon these days. I mean, definitely the, the pandemic made it even more common, but it was a thing even before then, but not, nothing that I was doing myself in, the, in a remote sense. Obviously, being in a studio at the same time as a bunch of other musicians brings a totally different element because you can work faster sometimes in some ways because you can all just bounce ideas around off each other. And, and then, like you said, sonically, you're in the same space, which certainly sonically has, I love that. you know, has a different, makes a difference. But at the same time, these days, more stuff is recorded this way than people realize. And you're completely able to with, with effects to, you know, add effects to an overall mix to make it sound somewhat like people are in the same space. So yeah, a lot of it, a lot of, uh, Probably 75% of the recording I do is just right here. And, you know, I have just all of my different drums and percussion instruments, you know, at my disposal. So I don't have to load up the truck and take everything, in, including the kitchen sink, to a session, even though I'm probably not going to use it. Right. I know that's uh, the bane of the drummer existence is having to load in and load out of gigs. Exactly. Yeah, I always it, offer to help for my part. Yeah. And, you know, you or know, send my lackeys, uh, boyfriend, yeah. uh, lackeys <laughs> to help. No, I'm kidding. You know, the, the and record in that sense, recording is worse for a drummer is worse than a gig because if I'm going, go, if we're going to play a gig, I'm going to probably bring a drum set and I'll have a snare drum and I've selected a set of cymbals that will most likely work on that gig. But if we're going to record an album, now I'm going to probably bring a drum set and four snare drums and 15 cymbals and you know, piles of and a, really? and a bunch of percussion. Because until you start recording, drummers will often have a tambourine. And once you start recording, you have 20 tambourines. Because you, know, you play a tambourine part and suddenly somebody says, that's cool, but do you have something darker? You know, uh, and you have to, you have to have darker. a darker sound. And it's the same with cymbals or anything else. You have to have all of these options. So that is one aspect of being able to do it myself here. That is, Absolutely the best because I don't have to load up everything because imaginable. You have this beautiful like wall of instruments over there. Yep, and and there are more hiding elsewhere because um, instruments that I brought back from West Africa. I'm sure because those and, are just your snares. Yep, a couple of snares and just piles of percussion. Oh, on I the see tambourines. Yep, oh, like I, I see said, auxiliary percussion. Lots of tambourine, claves, cowbells, you name it. 
yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, I'm uh, looking forward to working with you in the future because a lot of my songs have like a polyrhythmic feel to them. Yeah. And I'm still working on them because I can't figure out how to write it down because they're complicated, sure. right? I mean, and it's like, should I do this or should I do that? And is it really this? And should it match up here or not? Right? So, um, yeah, we should meet sometime. I would be grateful for your help on that. All for it. That sounds awesome. That, yeah, it's a it's kind of a cool thing to be able to work really good rhythms into a song that aren't just, you know, the regular, I don't know, it's like flavor, right? Yeah, a little less predictable, something right. that's that, yeah. You know, something that people can grab onto and sing, and then, then at the end of the song, that's what they go away with, right? Yeah, is that totally that rhythm in their like head. Some sort of rhythmic hook. Yeah, um, mine's ba ba da ba ba da ba ba da do ba do ba ba da ba ba da ba ba da ba ba da. You know, um, but it's it. over a, um, a different rhythm. Yeah, so, yeah, but yeah, in yeah. the end, I want them to go away singing that that song. Yeah, and it's just writing it out, right? It's just you Love know, it. I need you. I need <laughs> let's you do on it. Zoom. Let's make more music. Ah, let's do it. So, I mean, are you willing to play me? Any, do you usually play with a glass of wine in your hand? Um, do pretty much everything with a glass oh, of really? wine in my hand. Oh, really? Oh, perfect. Um, would you be willing to play anything and freak out my sound guy? Uh, I, only if you scat with me. Uh, sure, I'll scat with you. virtual five fives here man that was awesome thank you very much that was fun super fun awesome well i don't know about you but i am like starving we should i mean the smell of the soup all is the way like, up here yeah all let's the way go up here it. let's do it Well, I don't know. Maybe Autumn. I should look at it. But spoon, yes, spoon. I love a spoon. Oh wow, your spoons are bronze. They're beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Boy, this soup is hot. It is. It's hot. It's been cooking. I'm gonna, it's been cooking for. I'm gonna. A do you need a towel to put underneath it, or? I'm gonna set it down for a second. Yeah, let that baby cool. And I move over your air freshener. I love your house, by the way. Thanks. We got in here right before the pandemic. Which was, Did you really? Yeah. yeah. Which was, you know, perfectly awesome and horrible time to jump into a house. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and horrible. Well, I mean, you know, perfectly horrible because all of a sudden, you know, at least in my, on my side of things, mm -hmm. all all income stopped a couple of months later. You know, oh, so yeah. it's kind of funky. But at the same time, perfect because as a drummer, 
having a space to be recording on your own is something mm -hmm. you really had to have. So yeah. it's kind of a blessing. Yeah, pandemic was uh, hard on uh, many of my, well, all of my musician friends that um, make a living full time with music. And it was actually a little bit heartbreaking for you know the first year. Um, and then we all found ways to mm -hmm. still make it happen. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? We still found a way to record or go video to video or live performances online and tipping and you know all those kinds of things. And now we're to that point where you know you've got the small house concerts, but you have to be vaccinated. And right. you know we're all sitting here without masks on because we're yep. all we're as vaccinated as we're going to get. So exactly. we all know we're taking a chance. I don't know if you can see my face right now. <laughs> I just took my first bite of this concoction. Grandma Irene, right? Grandma Irene. This was her her yep. hearty cabbage it, and it, ham. It is hearty. That's going to heal so you from it anything. Is <laughs> um wow. I mean, it's perfect. That's what it is. It's perfect. Mm. Everything's perfectly cooked and the ham is delicious. I love how the carrots just kind of melt away. Mm -hmm. And it's just so simple, but so good. I know you sent me a picture, but when you chopped this up, how small did you chop, chop the cabbage? Um, cabbage, I wouldn't say it was super, super small. Um, I wasn't going really fine with anything. Actually, probably the mm -hmm. ham got diced smaller than most of the other pieces, really. Did you quarter the red potatoes? Yeah, most of them. Probably, yeah. yeah. Quartering red potatoes, a good thing. And I think <laughs> with the cabbage, you just... Yeah, I sliced it and chopped it and I, threw yeah, it in. One way, other way. Yeah. All good. I let him do all the cutting. Kind of shredded it apart. Anytime I have a knife, I always cut my fingers. <laughs> <laughs> great, great, so with, in of the great with paintbrushes. So she's a living Halloween, is she? I am. <laughs> well, um, I want to say thank you so much for having me into your household and uh, cooking this delicious soup. And uh, for sharing the recipe with our listeners, I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm, thanks. This has been fun, right? Yes, this has um, been fun. It, I have to say I was really nervous about this because we don't consider ourselves cooks and, you know, so much. It's just an easy meal and he will eat anything. Well, oh and which we're, makes it and easy. We were thinking, we were thinking if, if it was summertime on the back deck and we had the grill going, like that'd be a different story. Yeah, like, you can see that the crew is drooling. <laughs> they have to. They have to wait. That's funny. And if you don't like it, it won't hurt my feelings. Oh no, it's really, like, really good. <laughs> you know that that tradition your grandmother had about sending the soup away. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, please. No. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, thank you so very much for inviting me into your home and talking to me about art and percussion and music and um, just all the things that that you are. Thanks for Thank coming and hanging out and eating. I really appreciate yeah. it. It's awesome. I'm your host, jazz singer Marty Mendenhall. Check out the new Marty's Music Kitchen Season 1 cookbook featuring recipes, photos, and innovative QR codes so you can listen to the podcast while you cook. Buy it today at martymendenhall.com or on Amazon. Thanks so much for listening and see you next time on Marty's Music Kitchen. <laughs>